Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 384th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that masters commanders and tackles the textures so you don't have to. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co host is Derek the Dark Mage, aka at Oko Assassin on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everyone, second week in a row, glad to be back as always, and looking forward to discussing some uh, Commander's Masters previews, exciting week to have all the new spoilers, but before we jump in, I do want to remind listeners that the show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, what is on our agenda this week? All right, we're going to kick off with our usual segments. We're going to start with segment one, the MTGO Metagame Week in Review. After that, we're going to move on to segment two, where we talk about the top uh, movers and shakers of the week and why we think these uh, cards saw significant gains. Then on to segment three, our cards to watch, where uh, at least you this week will be sharing cards that you have your eyes on at the moment. And after that, we'll move on to segment four, which seems to be the perennial segment these days, uh, which is spoiler season. I've got the new Commander Masters first day of a big launch and lots to talk about we got we got to enjoy the ring popping back out of mount doom for about 4.2 seconds before we had to move on to the next set so yeah feels like spoiler season must be due kicking things off here segment one metagame week in review double dose of modern challenge action over on magic online trying to get a sense of what the lord of the rings cards are doing to that format we've got a friday modern challenge from july 7th and the modern showcase challenge from the next day saturday july 8th over in the friday challenge we have amulet titan featuring three copies of the one ring taking down uh that challenge in first we have Creativity Combo in 4th. We have Black Green Yogmoth featuring 4 Orcish Bowmasters and 4 Delighted Halfling. Black Red Scam with 4 Orcish Bowmasters and 2 Shieldred uh, in 6th. Jeskai Breach in 7th. That used to be a up-and-coming, exciting deck. Now it's just <laughs> faded to the background with how quickly this the turnover in this format has been over the last 12 months or so. And then you have a pretty interesting Titan list in 8th. No Amulet Titan. There are no Amulets of Vigor to be found here. This is four copies of the One Ring, four Sakura Tribe Elder, four Primeval Titan, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, four Lightning Bolt, four Renin Six, four Explorer, and four Wish. And I assume that that Wish often goes and gets a Valakut out of the sideboard? Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm trying to think. I mean, you got some real good um, uh, Orvar in there. We, you know, it's kind of a silver bullet and things like that but i would guess yeah usually it's grabbing that they don't, they don't even have an or orvar in the sideboard of this list as far as i can tell to fight off creativity oh i'm looking at the wrong creativity list so many there's actually a couple of amulet lists that they're floating around yep i see it yeah yeah this was the eighth place list the first the first place list had the had uh 
uh, the fourth one ring in the board as well. Now, the most interesting decks here is this emergent deck that is completely uh, reliant on the presence of Samwise Gamgee, a card I don't think any of us had on, on our radar nope. as <laughs> poised to dominate modern. This is a green-white 2-2 legendary creature halfling peasant which certainly makes a splash in my food deck in edh but did not pick up on the modern application here whenever another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control create a food token and then sack three foods return target historic card from your graveyard to your hand so what you can do here is basically go infinite with cauldron familiar so basically when the familiar comes into play it creates a food because of samwise and when you sack it via Viseraseer or otherwise, uh, there's also two Woe Strider in here. When it comes into play, it does damage to the opponent. When you sack it, it goes to the yard, and that food it created when it came in, you can use to bring it back. So just Strider, Samwise, and any sack outlet is just infinite. And this deck also has four Delighted Halfling, also has four Orcish Bowmasters, so there are at least six shells that are running the full complement of bowmasters right now which is at least twice as dominant as i ever remember esper sentinel being and pretty yeah. close to the level of play that urza saga was seeing in the first three months before everybody realized that it was better in artifact heavy decks and wasn't necessarily automatic everywhere else right and you know what we're not seeing everywhere this week is the wondering well, I mean, it's in here. It won the tournament. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, it's, I mean, you know, it's it's there It this week. You know, we'll see what next week brings. Clearly people sideboarded and hated it pretty hard, but it is, it's one of those where now this week, for the time being, it's just another card that's very good, uh, that's in the top eight. It's, you know, pervasive, but not, at least for the one week, problematic. We'll see what happens from here, but... It's uh, it's interesting to see. I mean, a lot of I know a lot of people on Twitter that like Dorcas Boardmaster have kind of said, clearly, you know, they said it was the best card in the set. They feel justified now. I don't know. I think we'll we'll see, but uh, it's getting a lot of play. It's also possible that Halfling is the best card in the set. It's seeing about as much play as Bowmasters mm-hmm. is across multiple shells, and it really I think hinges on that second point of toughness. If oh Halfling, yeah, it's if, huge. Half, if Halfling had been a one-one, totally different story. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember. I called that out. I, I, there's, I, I was like, that was the one I retraced on, and I was like, yeah, I think this is pretty good, and it didn't get a lot of play because it was revealed so early on in the cycle, so it just kind of lost a lot of the hype around it because it was so early before the set was revealed. But yeah, it's a good card. Not only does running, say, something like Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise walk you into you know, single points of damage split from things like fire out of the Crashing Rhinos builds and some of the other red cards that are in the format. And Ren 6. And Ren and 6. But it also is even more problematic because it's entering the format alongside Bowmasters, where it's Bowmasters mm-hmm. often gets one or two points of damage on the way in, and you really want them to be forced to use that against your halfling in its entirety as opposed to getting that and something else at the same time. Could Which, by the way, could be your own army token like maybe you only got the, the bowmasters in with a single trigger and now they're coming back at you with a double trigger you don't want them to be able to take out your halfling your bowmasters and your army very easily you want it to be a little bit of work and halfling 
that second point of toughness is going to continue to matter. Yeah, and they can't you they can't take out your halfling unless you let them because you know this is second card on turn, so you have to usually not always, but usually choose to draw that second card. So you can almost always protect your delighted halfling if you want to. The other thing is that the Samwise Gamgee deck, which we did talk about last week, and, and I think maybe the week before when it was first spotted, isn't even the craziest thing in this top eight. The third place list is a combo deck that did top eight a ways back down the road. I can't remember if it was six or 12 months ago the last time we talked about it, but it's a Kragenwick Cremator brew that that's a 5-4 giant shaman, last seen in Double Masters uh, 2022, two and double red for a 5-4. When it enters the battlefield, you discard a card at random. If you discard a creature card this way, it deals damage equal to that card's power to target player or planeswalker. So previously, this deck had access to things like Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn, and then there was uh, massive green creatures that they, they sometimes used. But now they're using Yargle and Multani, because that's an 18-6, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Something like that. So if they shocked even once, this is just an instant kill if you pull off the cremator. Man. And have a Yorgle in hand. That is so tilting, I'm sure. And they've got Thoughtseize to clear the way. They've got Gorio's Vengeance to bring back the Yargle or the Emrakul. And then they've got to deal with that. Uh, they've got Voldaren Epicure and uh, Cabal Therapist and Underworld Cookbook to discard stuff. They've got Fable of the Mirror Breaker that does, you know, the usual triple duty. And yeah, it, it just boggles the mind that you're still seeing brews like this pop up in a format that, by all accounts, based on the way people talk about MH2 cards, you would think this this for, this format was narrow and settled, but it is right. neither. Yeah. No, I, you know there's somebody with a huge stack of Cabal Therapists when they got real cheap. It's just looking at it, it's going, a one of, that needs to be a four of. Come on, do it. <laughs> do it, do it. So over in the Modern Showcase Qualifier, which was the uh, the bigger of the two tournaments, this one was a little more straightforward. It had Black Red Scam fe- featuring four Orcish Bowmasters in both the first and second place. So they had the, the Mirror. Uh, I guess the second place list only had three, so probably why they failed to take the whole thing down. Third place was Hardened Scales, running two copies of the Ozolith and three copies of Ozolith the Shattered Spire. Deck only got better with the printing of that card, of course. Uh, Black Red Scam, again in fourth place with four Bowmasters. And Grixis Shadow in fifth, also with four Bowmasters. So in the showcase qualifier, you have the top five decks running two copies short of the full complement of Bowmasters. So anybody who thought the ring was getting banned, it, I, I'd be keeping your eye on Bowmasters more than the ring. That is for sure. And the thing about Bowmasters, is it's like the most fair card of fair cards, right? Like, unless you're doing some wheel effect, which obviously isn't happening here, it is, like, so fair. Um, it's punishing. It's value. It's, a, you know, a two-for-one usually or three-for-one, but it is... It is fair, and those are not the type of cards that are usually problematic, but it's also, you know, it's just going into the shell. It was just basically Jund, right? If you look at this, it's not Jund because there's no green, but it's just, like, very high value with a little bit of unfairness with the, re- you know, the pulling out of the graveyard shenanigans. But a lot of it is just pretty fair. Uh, the Douthy Voidwalker, I've been playing Tron a lot lately, and I've been getting hit with Voidwalker for my either, you know, big creatures or my Karn, which shuts off half my deck, which has been 
brutal. Um, yeah. These are now running, you know, either three to four copies of Blood Moon, usually two in the main, one or two in the side, usually probably for, I would guess, four color Omnath, but uh, maybe just it's good against the field. And yeah, it's just it's just straight value. A lot of these things, I mean, you get a, a grief on the battlefield as a, you know, four three menace that you can't block. They strip your hand. And usually that, I mean, for half the decks in the field, that's almost enough, which is crazy. My main concern with Bowmaster, complaint, I guess, about Bowmasters is, isn't this a white-red card? This thing makes two tokens at instant speed and deals damage. Right. Punishing draws. I'm not sure how 80% of that is black. (laughs) Yeah, lose life, I could see. Not direct damage to any target. So yeah, Jeskai Breach in 6th in this top 8 as well. The Samwise Gamgee deck, again, in this top (laughs) 8 in 7th place. I'm not sure if it was the same pilot or not. And then Living End with the 6 copies of the Lord of the Rings cycling cards in 8th. So there are maybe 3 lists out of these 16 that were not running prominent sets of Lord of the Rings cards. So in terms of people thinking this was not a modern set... Wait, what are the 3... Uh, creativity combo, Jeskai, and both copies of Jeskai Breach didn't seem to have any, any cards that were... Okay, fair. Yep, that sounds right. I'm just checking their sideboards to make sure I'm not... There might be something like a cast into the fire, maybe that's what it's called. I don't see it. Um, I, I have seen that pop up in some sideboards in Modern. Anyway, uh, right. Lord of the Rings, big impact, but it's mostly spread across four specific cards. Uh, you got the one ring, you got the... Bowmasters, you got Delighted Halfling, and the the Cyclers in Living End. So do you see that in papers on Moto? It's it's really like literally three cards have all the values that are the same in paper right now. I haven't checked lately. No, not 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 Is necessarily. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of cards that are over ten bucks still. Aragorn the Uniter, Gandalf the White, Witch King of Angmar. All their borderless copies are. Uh, are close to twenty dollars. You have yeah. the Nazgul, of course. Get commanding ten to fifteen dollar price points, even in non foil, and foils are like thirty bucks a piece. Yep, Saruman's still expensive. Halflings expensive. Aragorn and Arwen wed extended arts are you know twelve to eighteen dollars, depending on where you're buying them. Uh, all the all the Nazgul related cards like Witch King, Bringer of Ruin, etc., are holding decent price points because they're getting thrown into the Nazgul decks in EDH. Last March of the Ents is over ten. Set's doing totally fine, really. The Mount, Mount Doom borderless are down to five bucks, six bucks. That's, I mean, long term, th- those are the cards that I think have really good potential because, I mean, they're legendary, so you can't play a ton, but I mean, they'll see EDH play, they'll see competitive play. If you look at the scam decks, they're now starting to run one copy. Let's see if that was pretty universal now. One Mount Doom. The problem with the box toppers is that they appear in all three product types draft set and right. cb yeah, and then yeah. inside the cbs as well and so they have the same issue that we had with the zendikar expeditions where just like the overall population of them in the market is just too high yeah yeah, yeah. just infinite supply personally i would have limited them to the cbs but i think they do it because they want to have extra draw into the boxes of all types but i think the reality is that the the hunt for the ring and the serialized rings was enough and I think mm-hmm. that if you had dropped serialized rings in this draft and set booster boxes at a lower drop rate than they appear in the CBs, that would have been enough to help sell those boxes. And then you could have dialed back the presence of the surge foils. And well, the surge foils are already quite rare, but the the foil 
I would have made all the box toppers non-foil instead of foil, and then I would have made the foil box toppers only appear in CBs and at a relatively low drop rate. That's that would would have been the tweak I would have gone with. The um, there's also extended arts that are holding up reasonably well because they're not that easy to pull. Palantir of Orthanc is a very very nasty card. <laughs> playing it in the food deck in EDH on the weekend against the Pro Traders, and I think the first time they had to make a choice was when I got to the third turn cycle with, with the Orthanc. Right. And I said, okay, I'm gonna keep those both on top, and they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you, you go ahead and <laughs> you go ahead and mill three. So I mill three and they took ten. Cause, oh my god. Because <laughs> it, looks, it looks at the casting cost of the cards I put in the yard. And after that, they wanted to kill the Palantir and not fool around with it. Right. Yeah, it's... Because uh, once they get scared uh, of it, you're just scrying to and drawing at the end of every turn. Yeah, I'm just looking at EDH rec now that more numbers keep rolling in. You know, I mean, that's the thing. One Ring, Orcish Bowmaster, and Halfling are in top three of the set in EDH too, which is not yeah. surprising, but it's, you know, you have these type of cards with all competitive play plus EDH play. It's it's not surprising to see. We even have things like Eleanor Gardner, which is a 2-4 for 4. When it enters the battlefield, create a food token. At the beginning of your end step, if you sacrifice the food this turn, you can search your library for a basic land and put that onto the battlefield tap, then shuffle. That's an auto-include in the food deck, depending on how you build it. Like, if you build it at a very high level, you probably cut this. But even still, the EAs are going for nine bucks. Hmm. So. Surprised Horn of Gondor is pretty low on EDA track numbers. Only 4,000 decks so far. Yeah, I think that's probably overlooked and... There's a few other cards that I think people are sleeping on, but market's going to do what the market's going to do. You can mm-hmm. you can criticize, but you won't be able to change minds from afar. Uh, moving on over to top paper movers of the week. All sorts of stuff in motion as a result of the impact of the Lord of the Rings set. Living End itself, uh, because the, the deck has gotten better and is doing pretty well top eighting regularly in modern. Copies from uh, Time Spiral Remastered going 7 to $10. Storm of Saruman uh, is another pretty busted EDH card. It's only in the top 20 or so, I think, on EDH rec so far, but regular copies still went 350 to 550. If you've actually played with this card in EDH, it doesn't take very long to realize just how how busted this thing is. Last weekend, I had this in Muldratha, which is, of course, is a deck that is frequently bringing things back from the yard. And I got to cast Emrakul, the Promised End, and double it with Storm yeah. of Saruman. So I took both of my opponents' next turns, <laughs> God. which was very gross. I can check that off the to-do list. Kiora Best the Sea God is a Tom and the Bomb card going 11 to 16 this week, 45% gains. Grief is an MH2 card that I think people probably are calculating is not going to be in Commander Masters. Doesn't really make sense there. So it went 21 to 30 over the last couple of weeks. Black Red Scam, of course, is Ascendant in Modern, only got better with the presence of the Bowmasters, and Grief was already doing pretty well before that showed up. We've got Lord of the Nazgul, which is one of the Commander deck Lord of the Rings cards, going 10 to 15. It's the number seven Commander of the last week, and plenty of Nazgul demand. Like I, I felt like I could have sold infinite Nazgul over the last 10 days or so. Anything I put up for sale on Facebook got snapped off real quick. Anything I put up on eBay sold pretty quickly. And if I put something on Facebook and put a decent price on it, I would get like 10 requests. I would get people saying, do you have other, like, do you have non-foils and foils? I'll take everything you got if you give me a a solid price. 
And uh, I think in part that's because up here in Canada, the major vendors are like basically totally sold out. Mm-hmm. Because they're Uber Mythics, they're not easy to replace. you got to crack a lot of product if you want to put more copies up for sale. Right. We've got Containment Priest Foil Retros out of TSR. Um, this uh, has me reflecting on Travis's comments at the time that these were released, talking about whether these were, you know, people were going to care about these. The thing is, there's so few of them, because I think you get one random one out of every 27 or 28 packs yeah, or something like that. Yeah, it's right around that, yeah. Yeah. So somebody decided to corner these, but it didn't take much. They only had to buy like five or ten copies over the last couple of weeks. And I, I would imagine this is a play on the basis that there are so, so many applications of this in modern right now. Like, for instance, this is the kind of card you want to flash into play in response to the Samwise Gamgee combo. Yeah... It also could be legacy demand. I mean, there's so few of them that I mean, it is it is played in legacy sideboards. Usually, it's like a one of that could drive some of this. I mean, legacy players are notorious for spending lots of money on cards, liking old border, and wanting the most premium version. This falls into all of that. That does work against Samwise Gamgee. Yes, and it can also work against creativity combo if they bring in Archon. And I would imagine it works against undying creatures in, in Yawgmoth as well. Feels like plenty of targets. So, sideboard, modern, last 30 days. It is in 52 decks. 4-5 list had three copies in the sideboard. A 4-2 list of uh, kind of like Convoke, you know, Fast Burn had three copies. So yeah, it's seen some play. Not with a ton of success, at least from... The very modest number of lists here I pulled up. Here, a 9-0 list had it. Uh, three copies of the sideboard in the Convoke version. Bottom line, it, bottom line, if you're holding any of these, this is a perfect time to be selling. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't hold this. I mean, these used to be expensive. <laughs> Containment Priest years ago was $25 for the basic version before it got reprinted into dust. And now it's, what, a dollar or something? Not even. The other thing is the Masterpiece Invocation version is down to just 10 listings on tcg player with a very steep ramp going from about 45 to 80 and it started this year closer to 25 so it's already up six or seven dollars and you can see a double handful of copies having sold over the last couple of weeks i wouldn't be surprised to see those dry up as well if it's seeing play across modern and legacy and dodges a reprint (laughs) because this is the kind of card that could pretty easily show up in commander masters uh so move quick Change of the Rocks out of Theros, two to five dollars regular copies on the back of that Pioneer Red White deck that's doing well lately. Eleanor Gardner we talked about a little earlier. Foils six to sixteen because of the food decks. Helm's Deep Borderless Foil out of Lord of the Rings. That's one of the realms and relics going six to sixteen. I guess people decided that uh, Blood Soaked Keep Shinka, I guess it is, as uh, the regular name of the card, was priced too low and decided to go in on them. More than doubled in a month. And yeah, I mean, some of those borderless foils getting down that low does seem a little sus. Yeah, it's got 24 listings right now. So, I mean, there's still supply, but it's definitely not like a ton. I'm not sure that's the one I would have gone after. No. EDH demand total is 18,000 decks since it was printed, which was quite a long time ago. So I would imagine you're going to get stuck holding there. I, this next one is one I flagged for the Pro Traders, I think, start of the weekend or end of last week. PNLR Console of Revival Halo Foils were looking too cheap. 
Snagged some at five and six dollars. Now they've gone five to fifteen. Very few listings left. That's because it's a four of uh, auto include in the deck that has emerged in Pioneer. And mm-hmm. Halo foils have a relatively low drop rate in those aftermath products, and nobody's opening aftermath at this point. So going to be hard for the market to fill that gap. Yeah, I. I mean, my only thing is I don't know a Pioneer player that's trying to make their deck premium. Somebody must be, because <laughs> I, I sell premium cards in the Pioneer. Don't know where they are, that's all. <laughs> the competitive players, I mean, that generally speaking is disfavored. That's not always true. But somebody's buying them, I don't know. My whole thing is, like, I spent a lot of time in the F&M modern scene, and at least right. here in Toronto, where you have a, a pretty high average income, uh, one of the more expensive cities in North America, if I'm if there's 30 or 40 people at an F&M on Friday night at face-to-face... I would say six to eight of those decks are going to be tricked out. Yeah, which modern doesn't surprise me. Does not surprise me. It's the specifically Pioneer, and maybe Pioneer has been around long enough now. It's yeah. the centerpiece of pro tours and things that people are starting to get comfortable with the idea of investing in it more than the bare minimum. Because the modern, yeah, I mean, like I used to play against white control players all the time that always had all foil decks um, for whatever reason. Those always stood out to me, but. Not so much in Pioneer, but maybe nowadays that's uh, become more of a thing. Well, I mean, Meat Hook Masker foil extended arts were $100 plus at one point, largely on the back of standard. Yeah. So. Yeah, now they're down to 50 bucks. Yeah, and, the, and that drop-off happened after they were banned. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we've got Falaji Wayfarer out of the Dominaria United Commander decks, which means it's actually out of the collector boosters for Dominaria United DMU. It's a 2-4 for 3, but it counts as all colors, and multicolored spells you cast have Convoke. This is very, very sexy and kind of, a, kind of an auto-include in Aragorn, because you get all four triggers off of Aragorn, and then additional multicolored spells that you cast have Convoke. So Aragorn's white trigger makes tokens, which makes it very easy then to Convoke additional spells, and this is a bit of a combo piece in in aragorn builds where things can get out of hand quite quickly especially if you're also running gating creatures and you have something like cloudstone curio or equilibrium uh, or aluren in play where you're going to be repetitively bouncing creatures and you could just instantly win the game all right fair i haven't really played with that enough to know but I trust you i i even saw i think it was was it reed duke i think i think reed was tabling Two copies of Aragorn the Uniter in Modern in five color Omnath the other day, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Because if you cast an Omnath into an Aragorn, you get all four triggers as well. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah. Value so, and value. Yeah. So, uh, Flashy Wayfarer. Then we have the Horus Heresy, a Tom the Bomb card going, as a 40k card going a dollar to four dollars, and in the darkness, bind them. A saga from the Lord of the Rings commander product, I believe, for Sauron. And Sauron is the top commander of the week. And In the Darkness buying them appears in 52% of decks. I suspect somebody went after these, but it's a little suspect because the card comes in the deck. So if you want to build Sauron, you're probably just going to buy the Sauron deck to start with. And you're going to have a copy of this to begin with. Right. So does doesn't really parse for me. And I would absolutely be selling at $10 plus on these. Uh, top Magic Online Movers of the Week, Chrome Host Seed Shark from... It's all mom cards here. 0.41 to 0.78, 90% gains there, I'm assuming on the back of Standard Play. Sunfall is seeing play in both Standard and Pioneer. 
0 0.18 to 0.38, 111% gains, and then Breach the Multiverse, 0 0.03 ticks to 0.23666, Mark of the Beast, I'm out of profit. Yeah, so this has actually been driven by, so these uh, collector booster, treasure chests, sorry, uh, treasure chests and Magic Online basically pushed uh, several of the sets down way low, so... Uh, Mom, uh, Brothers War, and what was the other one that got pushed? Brothers War and uh, Phyrexia all will be one. All got just decimated for about a week and a half. You could get full sets of each for like a hundred and ten bucks or hundred and twenty bucks after fees. Um, and and you know it's like so it was like down to seventy five to eighty tickets per set for some of these. And then yeah, you know, tickets are less than a dollar. Plus you add forty five in fees. It was probably right around 120 that you could cash out for. And these are all selling on eBay for like 170. So it left kind of an EV gap, which, you know, people noticed, including myself and filled in. So this is from a lot of these sets just getting bought up and people needing kind of some of the random cards that are, you know, right on that teeter point where they, they get played enough where there's some demand, but they're not, you know, they're, they were super cheap and now they got a, got a little bit of a bump. So kind of inside baseball there, but basically this is uh, an example of how magic online always has to balance out at least when they're redeemable sets uh, to what the paper prices are because if they diverge too much people will buy a bunch of it and cash out into paper cards gotcha all right moving on over to cards to watch i'm the only one with uh offers to table so we can dive in on those Sauron the Dark Lord is the top commander of the week, beating out Sam and Frodo by a pretty handy 15 or 20%. Aragorn the Uniter is in third, Tom Bombadil in fourth, Atraxa still holding steady in fifth. And so it's worth taking a look at some of the cards from Sauron that have seen some movement but might see more. Sauron has a lot going on. There's a bunch of different ways you can approach the deck. It is a 7-6 for 6 mana in Grixis colors. It has Ward of Sacrifice a Legendary Artifact or Legendary Creature. So unless you have your, you're willing to give up your commander, your one ring, or your mox amber, you're going to have trouble getting rid of Sauron, which is very handy if you're playing him. Whenever an opponent casts any smell, spell, you amass orcs one. So you're presumably going to run a bunch of sack outlets, where sacking things is going to let you ping people, and then every time they do anything, you're going to ping them, or drain them, or draw a card, or some other th advantage you're going to get from the orcs. Pretty unlikely that what you're trying to do is make a 2020 orc, because that's not really what this deck is about. But I wouldn't be surprised if you ran a copy of Fling or something to that effect just for funsies. Whenever an army you control deals combat damage to a player, the ring tempts you. And as your army gets tempted, it gets harder and harder to block. So you actually kind of want that army to stay pretty small, which is why I said sack outlets are probably going to be pretty key. Because then whenever the ring tempts you, you may discard your hand if you do draw four cards. So one of the cards that's really handy when you can discard your whole hand and then draw four is something like Living Death, because you can wipe the board and get back all the stuff you threw to the yard, and you can be specific about what goes to the yard by having a heavy card draw theme. You know, in this deck, you're going to run your Ristic Studies, your Mystic Remoras, etc., all the blue stuff that keeps you stock full of cards, and then find ways to discard all the best stuff to the yard and... Probably play something like Bajuka Bog or some other graveyard clearing effects, Dothy Voidwalker, etc., so that you can keep your opponents from having much in the yard to get back, and then go ahead and bring your whole yard back and hopefully nobody else's or maybe one other player's and really go to town. Living Death was last seen as a surge foil in the 40k premium decks, and those have almost dried up, but there are still copies sitting around at $4 or so. 
Given how popular Sauron is, I could see them going 4 to 12, given what has happened with other Surge Foils thus far. Yeah, I mean, it's got 80,000 decks on EDHREC, so it's broadly popular, generally speaking. Um, it's a pretty pretty reasonable number. And yeah, what is it, 20 listings or so on TCG player for, fo- for Near Mint? Only a few more if you go to LP. Um, so at that price point, I mean, it's pretty low, pretty steep ramp. I mean... Several of those copies, if you go to the second page, are already up to ten bucks, basically, uh, and some of them up to twenty. So even though it's twenty-five posted, it's more like twelve, fifteen until at least on TCG it dries up. Obviously, you'd have to check the big vendors. Yeah, I'd say across North America, there might be twenty to forty copies in the four to six dollar range, and then it's going to ramp up pretty quickly. And as you said, Living Death is already a good card uh, that fits into a bunch of strategies in EDH. And Sauron can make good use of the card. Sauron's very popular, so to me that is a no-brainer for a, a fairly, you know, a small handful of these. And see how it goes. The other pick I've got is Renin Six Textured Foils, which uh, were kind of radioactive up until this point because they were just in free fall after being posted at a very high price tag. I think out of the gate. When they were first released last summer, you were seeing them at like $350. And they've done, as is very common, with a new rarity type, which is often what premiums in major sets are. Um, A lot of vendors buy and sell these cards without really fully ever getting a grasp on the actual rarity of them, unless they do mass cracking operations, keep detailed records. So a lot of the pricing that goes on in the market is often a a game of, of follow the leader, right? And the result of that is that people think that prices, quote unquote, collapse. But what actually happens is they're priced in an unrealistic range for the market, given the rarity of the card in question, and they find uh, equilibrium. And yes, that's at a lower point, but it can be argued that that's where the market should have known to start to begin with. And in the case of Renin 6, that seems, based on the records from the last three or four months or so, to be of somewhere around... 90 to 100 dollars there are currently 61 listings of the textured foil renin sixes left i have some of these in stock already from cracking product and they are gorgeous in hand um, they don't tend to curl a lot you can definitely run these in uh, your modern decks without fear of being marked i would imagine that there is definitely some friction on this entire premise because as you mentioned earlier a lot of uh, competitive tourney players will just shy away from anything but regular versions The thing is, the cards that are most likely to buck that trend are the ones that are kind of perennial super staples, and Renin 6 certainly fits the bill for Modern, for Legacy, for Cube, etc. It's not that big a deal in EDH, but in the 4.0 formats it certainly is, and they will give us more Renin 6s, but they'll probably leave it alone for a year, two years, three years, hard to say how much, and in what appearance the next version might be, nothing really seems too safe these days. But if they leave it alone for, say, another year or so, I could see these going from $90 to $95 to $130 to $140 pretty easily, given the current inventory levels and pace of sales. So I looked up Renin 6 original foils, which were $320, well, just the market price in TCG were $324 a year ago. What is your guess of what those are, what the lowest copy listed right now is? Without for, looking, I'm going to say... Mint. I'm going to say it is under $100. It is $70. See, the thing is that original foil, I don't think it means much in the booster fun era. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I agree, generally. So I like these much more, much more. It does mean something for things like original shocks, original fetches, etc. Stuff where just the nostalgia factor and age of the cards in question being 10, 15, 20 years old contributes to collector's desire to have the originals. But if you look at Ren and Six options, you even just from Double Masters 2022, you have foil-etched Ren and Six, which is very nice and also tournament playable. So if you're choosing between original foil from Modern Horizons, which, as you said, was very pricey when it only had the one version, versus the two versions of Double Masters 2022, it's kind of a no-brainer. Both of the other ones are a lot nicer. So it doesn't really surprise... And, and more to the point... As rare or more rare in the case of both the textured foil and the and the edge foil. Right. So just because of the formulations. Yeah. So this really to me just is gonna boil down to how long can Renin Six go without another reprint? Yeah. So I mean I, I think my thoughts are if you want a personal copy, I think the foil etched is a good way to go to balance, you know, insulate yourself from Another kind of non-foil, non-premium reprint. It's already been in the list. Um, it might still be. I haven't looked at the the most recent list formulation, but that's a you know a slow pressure, especially to a high uh, expensive card. Uh, that additional supply definitely tempers things. And so, if you're going for personal copies, I mean, I think the the foil etch is a nice treatment. It's very premium. It's more unique than any of the other versions, I think, because I don't really like the borderless version or EA, whatever it is. Um, and the basics now is just everywhere. So, so, I think so, ju- so just to be clear, are you are you saying not the one I picked, but foil etched, or are you meaning to say textured foil? I'm calling textured foil. You were talking about foil etched. I I like the foil etched better personally for personal copies. Uh, the texture foil is more rare, right? So yes. let's compare and contrast. So the the inventory is a about the same 63 vendors versus 61 vendors i like the original art better i bet other people like this because it's ea and kind of striking i mean i guess either honestly i think i think what you don't want to do is buy a you know as a spec buy a 40 or 50 dollar copy of renin six right because that is just red flags right now for watsu to, to slam it to the ground but Again, like like everything else, going premium at least insulates that from you for a, you know a good chunk. And so I think either the texture, I mean, depending on your preference, either one. As a spec, I just I don't trust Watsy to not reprint a sixty dollars card. I, I will say that it's very unlikely to show up in Commander Masters. First of yes, all, we've I already agree. seen half. First of all, we've already seen half the mythics. Secondly. It's not that big a deal in EDH. It's like in twelve thousand decks or something. Yeah, which so is, not not. Yeah. I, I wouldn't worry about Commander Masters. I would more worry about something next. I don't summer. know something next summer or a premium secret layer that we haven't thought of. Right, if they do a a, a winter edition where it's two hundred dollars and they throw in five premium cards, something sure. like that. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, if they come up with a brand new product, sure. I think that if you're skeptical of this selection then you can wait till, I think, Vegas. I think by mid-September, they will reveal the product lineup for the next year. Right. And it won't be absolutely everything. Like, they won't announce each of the secret layers. But they they will tell us the broad strokes, as they've done every year for the last five or so. And you could get a sense of, are we getting a Modern Horizons 3 next summer? Right. Is that a risk? If they If they call it Pioneer Masters for next summer, and then tell us it's a... 
whatever Star Wars themed set that, you know, there are licensing issues there, but whatever, if it's another Lord of the Rings style thing, plus Pioneer Masters, then your Red and Sixes are probably safe. If it's, if it's Modern Masters, Modern Horizons 3, then it's not safe. So you could absolutely wait until September. And I don't think these are going to see a tremendous amount of motion between now and then. I'm not in a rush to pick these up. But they've been mostly flat for three or four months, so I think they found their bottom. And if you like them, either the foil etched or the textured foil, then your window to get in on them is going to be soonish. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the price charts. I'm going to just definitively say I like your version much better. because So that's the thing. You don't want to catch a falling knife, and your version, the textured foil, has basically bottomed out. It's plateaued. It's kind of stayed the same price since March, which is a good amount of time, even up just slightly um, 10% or so. If you look at the textured version foil of kind of the price history, I mean, it's a, a collapse still um, ongoing. And so it, maybe it's on its bottom, maybe it hasn't, but um, it is, the chart is kind of anemic for the text or for the um, etched foil, whereas for the one that you call the texture foil, it's like you said, it's bottomed out. Um, likely looking like it'll stay at least stagnant, if not start ticking up, which, especially if this does well with the Pro Tour, which is in a couple weeks and is focused on modern, that could be a jump start to have this, you know, sell off a couple play sets, which, you know, these type of cards they're selling four ofs, not uh, singles. And so it doesn't take that much to clear out inventory relative to others. But comparing, one last thing, comparing and contrasting them. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you were going to ask me which one do I like better... I like the living end because the the risk is near zero with a high potential of return, right? You have a three to five dollar buy in with potential for fifteen dollar exit, and that's super far, uh, assuming it works out and it, you know just people buy up a handful of copies. Whereas here you're you're putting in you know the equivalent of whatever twenty of those copies to maybe see a you know after fees twenty thirty percent return. So I, I like the lower risk, higher reward play relative to like the blue chip stock. The thing about a Renin, say four copies of textured foil Renin six versus 40 copies of a single use living death, however, is that that's 40 packages versus potentially one. So just in terms of time spent packaging up, managing your sales, shipping costs, sure. et cetera, you, you do have to factor that in as well. Yep. Depends on your model, right? If you're on, direct and somebody's shipping it for you and all you do is post a price it's a lot different than if you have to keep it in mind and definitely watch yep. it post also true it. all right so moving on over to our topic of the week we're going to go through the all the news and spoilers from commander masters big uh, reveal stream today there had been some stuff that had been teased i think as far back as last september actually um, and I can't remember if it was in the winter when they told us about the textured foil jeweled lotus. Um, they dropped some some math on us today that was updated. And I saw a couple of vendors complaining on Twitter because apparently on the WPN, the Wizards Play Network site, they had originally suggested that it was 4%, uh, sorry, 25% of boosters that had textured foils and there's 10 different cards that are going to be in textured foil, including the Lotus. But what they meant to say was a one in 25 chance, which equals 4%, which, so that basically means you have a 0.4% chance of pulling any specific textured card, including Lotus. So you need 250 packs to find one of them. And that's roughly 62.5 CB boxes, given that those boxes have four packs each, which is not bad, but not like, 
it's rare, but it's not uber, uber rare like some of the other stuff. I, like, I think surge foils at a Lord of the Rings are more rare than these. That said, I would imagine that minimum price on the textured foil jeweled lotus is something like, well, I mean, it can't go below Renin 6. So Renin 6 textured foils uh, got down to $100. But the thing is, jeweled lotus is an auto-include in so, so, so many EDH decks, and EDH is the primary format. So I'm thinking 250 to 300 minimum is a reasonable floor it could get as low as 100 depending on how much of this they print and how long how much of it gets cracked but upside of maybe a thousand there could be thousand dollar copies floating around on opening weekend i would imagine on ebay yeah i mean it's the most gorgeous card they've made in a while in my opinion i mean it's just absolutely stunning i, I don't like the art but i do like the way that it reflects light like i think oh, that the, I, the I like physical about it. i yeah. think the physical principles of the card are, are quite solid uh i'm not the whole busting out of the shell thing, I think, is a little disjointed um, in terms of the composition of the art. But I think they'll be very popular in hand because I think textured foils, ref- especially if they are single-sleeved, reflect light very, very well. Uh, so moving along, there was probably, mi- I would say, mixed feedback from the pro traders as all the reveals were taking place today. Uh, a lot of people jumped the gun, I think, and, and started poo-pooing the set pretty quickly even though we've only seen as i said half the mythic mythics after everything has been you know broken down and i've got a list going of everything we know from the mythics list so far we've seen land tax spell seeker has been moved from rare to mythic jeweled lotus of course the ur dragon we already knew about ditto selvala heart of the wilds and capture of jinzu Yuriko, Kozilek the Great Distortion, Zakama, Avacyn, Omnath, Locus of Mana, Marin, Neheb, Urza Lord High Artificer, and Insurrection. So that suggests to me that we have 20 Mythics left to go. And there is plenty of room for Spice in 20 Mythics. On the rare side of things, I think what everybody seems to be holding their breath for is A, are we getting the free cycle of cards from was it commander 2020 yeah 2020 yeah and they did at the end of the day reveal a very nice version of deadly rollick that shows the one of the rakdos characters from ravnica so given that they gave us deadly rollick i would imagine we will see fierce guardianship as well whether we see the white one or not is tougher to say because i think it's already caught a reprint in a commander deck if i'm not mistaken yeah, correct yeah uh, so it may or may or may not be there, but just the presence of Rollick and Fierce Guardianship will help shore up the rare slot as well. They did also mention on stream that there is an MH2 card in the set, and it's unclear to me whether they were referring to Urza Lord High Artificer, or whether they were, which was originally Modern Horizons 1 and then caught a reprint of MH2, or whether they're referring to, say, uh, Solitude... Urza Saga or Esper Sentinel would be my best guesses. Uh, Dothy Voidwalker is also a possibility because that's a mega staple for Commander. Yeah, I would think it, I mean, it, with the timing and things, it has to be something that was known pretty far in advance. And I think Dothy, like, I mean, it was doing well early on. Like, the stats looked good, but it didn't perform. I guess this is Commander Masters, so the competitive side didn't doesn't matter too much, but... Yeah, if I had to guess, it would be Urza Saga or Esper Sentinel, just because they're like the obvious. They add to EV. They need EV. Yeah, I could I could see them. If I had to rank their likelihood, I'd say Voidwalker, Sentinel, Saga, just based on their their applications in EDH. Um, they also showed us 
Mizix of the Ismagus. They showed us that Urza Lord High Artificer reprint. So it was in MH1. It was an MH2 collector boosters only as foil etched or retro foil. Correct. Yep. There was no non-foil copies, I believe. Correct. At the time. Then they reprinted it with a couple of versions in Dominary Remastered, which you would kind of assume would give it some breathing room. But then six months later, they reprinted again. And so this is where you and I come into harmony <laughs> on this on this card in particular, because I know that the, the frequent reprints have, have irked you to no end over the last couple of years. This is the kind of reprint that doesn't make sense to me. It's not that the card's not good. It's not that the price point can't support it. I mean, you were saying regular copies are like $16 or something on yep. TCG? Yeah, via direct, so the regular are probably even less. Right. So, that I mean, that's fine, but that definitely does not beget a reprint. And I think that the problem at Watsi is that the way that they think about teams communicating and clearing inclusion and the rules that they set in terms of how frequently they can reprint something almost certainly need tweaking. I can't claim what the rules currently are, but I can tell you that something is out of whack there. I thought the rule is if they put it in a secret layer, you just reprint it the next set. Isn't that the rule? See, the thing is about <laughs> the, the secret layer double printings don't bother me at all. When a secret layer printing captures the imagination and people are really into it, it yeah. often does not matter whether there have been other versions or not. Like, see, I don't think, I don't think secret layers are a huge threat because they are in something that people have to actively purchase. And they even when they give us a month to do it, it's still a time-boxed thing. Whereas something like MH2 or Lord of the Rings, those are in print with boxes sitting on the shelf at your every LGS, packs in every Walmart, and that lasts for two years. That's a very different situation. So I, I, I agree secret, to a point. Secret layer doesn't help <laughs> the price of a card. But it doesn't automatically hurt it. And the thing is, like, even things like, you know, Cloudstone Curio is an auto-include in Aragorn and EDH. Because you want to bounce creatures all the time so you can get his triggers. They gave us Cloudstone Curios in the Lord of the Rings box toppers. That's the foil borderless, regular borderless, and surge foil. So you would assume that my pricey masterpiece invention versions that I have priced at like $160 wouldn't sell because you can get fancy cheaper, fancy versions that are front of mind for like 10 times less. But I've sold two of those this week because if there is a superior version, a collector or high ruler or whale may just decide, hey, when I have a choice, I prefer masterpiece inventions. And I don't care what the price tag on them is. It's the best looking card for my deck. And I keep my deck, my EDH decks together for years. So here I go. And I think that we've Did seen some of that with certain secret layers as well, where versions of key cards that got really cool art in secret layers have done very well. We've also seen examples where that was not the case. Like, for instance, I think Dan Fraser foil etched uh, signets and so forth have not exploded in the way that people expected them to. Maybe because the nostalgia is limited to a relatively narrow slice of the market. Inventions are just like, to a lesser extent, but just like foil cons fetches. It's a different era that is not comparable in in the slightest, I think. Uh, you know, It's more like comparing 
like you said, a nice secret layer that was not bought up, you know, to, to something else that has a nice printing. I think that's more comparable. But the, the inventions, I mean, it's just totally a different supply, a different perception. I mean, I think people view those as kind of like a, this is different, right? This is the old area, old era, not the new era. But like, you know, I mean, some of these things you put in spell, uh, spell, what am I Seeker? thinking? Spell seeker. seeker. Spell Seeker was in a secret layer drop that, you know, you panned when we talked about it and I pointed out Spell Seeker basically was 20, 30 bucks and held the value, right? And they, they were knowing, knowing that they were selling a secret layer, a product to people as here, buy this, get Spell Seeker because it's worth the drop and all this other garbage you get as a bonus. But that, that was the whole drop is getting Spell Seeker because it was worth it. And then six months later, they're going to print it into dust and it's going to go down to $10 or $15. And it's, if I buy in that layer, I don't care how nice the art is. That is a, a false promise where you're, if you're buying something from Watsi, you're expecting at a minimum a year, should be longer, but a minimum a year for a $20, $30 card that's carrying a drop to ha- retain its value. Because if you don't, yeah, maybe you want the art, but why not wait, you know, unless it's like this premiere thing or whatever. But even then, you can't get that in a secret layer, I don't think, for 90% of drops. Why wouldn't you wait, right? And if you wait, then you just kind of, and then you see it come out, and then you go, well, let's wait another six months. You wait another six months, and you go, well, if they're going to print things every year or two, then why don't I wait another until I absolutely need it? And I just think it perpetuates this reality where, Every time you see a card, you're like, well, do I need, do I absolutely have to have that? Because the collector part goes away because you assume over time your collection is going to lose value rather than gain value. And I think that's a true, I mean, you see it here with um, Omnas Locus of Mana, right? I mean, granted, it's a garbage mythic, whatever, who cares? But the whole green secret layer or commander collection green got reprinted again into dust Everything in it got reprinted within a year, and Urza's the same way. If you look at um, Azusa getting coming out, that got a secret layer treatment, even though it didn't need it really. I mean, it was it came out in twenty twenty one core set, and it just kind of floundered since then. And then they reprint it here again, and these are the type of things where like you don't have to do it. It doesn't make sense. Right, I don't mind reprinting something that people really need because it's a competitive card and you want it in people's hands or, you know, there's another reason where you know, it just is time. But to just reprint things like Urza through four times in a short period of time or four eh, Yeah, four four, year, four years since Modern Horizons. Okay, four years, but within the last two, it's got re- three reprintings within the last six months i guess i mean wasn't dmr in december yeah it in february january right i mean that's and these are the type of things that people see right it's not the even jewel lotus right jewel lotus came out two years ago three three years ago november 20 november 2020 yeah two and a half Uh, historically that wouldn't see a reprint for a year and a half it wouldn't right and fine it's fine to include it is fine to include but if they didn't print as much product and they weren't scraping the barrel to get these things, it, none of this would be a problem. The problem is they want to pump out too many sets and put too much out there, um, which, and so 
going off my rant and moving towards the actual set and some constructive things. Hold up, I have I have I have three three commentaries because there's a lot, there's a lot of depth there to sure. to plumb. So the first one is your logic surrounding what people's expectations might be as pertains to secret layers. I think is accurate, but they never actually are making that promise to us at all. In none of the communications about secret layers have they ever said this is the only place you're ever going to be able to get this. Uh, we're, oh yeah, sure. We're we're, we're not going to reprint this anywhere else. On the contrary, I think that people need to understand that the policy on secret layers is they are over and above the reprint cycle. The The premise of secret layers is super sexy art available in a time boxed format. And that's it. There's no additional promise. They are, if anything, doing the opposite. I think the, yeah, the, they very, are doing the, opposite. the yeah, very existence of secret layers is saying we are adding a layer of reprints above the normal cadence Anything that's in here is still fair game anywhere else. We don't even really consider it. And you you buy them because you want them. Like in the case of your like your trajectory for a spell seeker purchasing decision, where they're like where you were, you know, discussing a person that might put it off and put it off and put it off because they think it's gonna keep going down, down, down. The thing is, that's not really how EDH players function. And, and that is primarily who the, the secret layers are aimed at. Them and true collectors who are just want the secret layers because they want one of every secret layer. Or they want specific secret layers that speak to them. Like cat and dog secret layers or whatever that mean nothing to me but might mean something to you. And in the case of a special looking spell seeker, their proposition unspoken, as it were, is more like, here's a great spell seeker. We might give you another version in six months. But it won't be this version. So if you like this version, go ahead and buy it guilt-free because you'll put it in the deck and it'll be there for years and years and years. And because of the nature of EDH, it'll probably never get banned. It'll probably never go out of style. You'll be able to play this forever. So people need to understand that. There's also the this idea of... I, I Just on that, I, I agree that's their idea. I don't know if it's going to continue to work to a level that is successful yeah so i mean going back to say something like urza i think that three times in four years is fine as we get to the commander masters keeping in mind that they already gave us multiple versions of the art etc in that and then to come to this six months later and give it again when it's not even a card that is egregiously expensive like if you have something like a one ring and they had not put it automatically in bundles. Price of that card right now would be $200 plus in paper. The only thing keeping that a $40 card right now is bundles. Because it was a f- free copy in every bundle. And they printed hundreds of thousands of those. But if that didn't exist, that would be one of the most expensive mythics at launch of all time. And similar, similar to Jeweled Lotus at a Commander Masters. If Urza was in that boat where it had spent the last year dominant in modern or something as a four of, and copies were still floating in the mid forties or something. And people were complaining about it. Then you can make the argument. This is a high demand card. It's hurting tournament participation and accessibility. We're going to print it again, and then we'll leave it alone for a while. And you could make a reasonable argument, but as you and I are both aware, Urza is not in modern right now. There are some fringe decks that use it, like Spike will put it up on screen once a month or something, but it's not, we're not seeing it in any top eights. 
So there's no real modern demand to speak of to justify Modern Horizons 1, 2, and Dominaria Remastered all carrying the card, and then again seeing it here. It, You and I are in agreement. This is an egregious reprint. But I'm kind of, in this era, I just expect to see five egregious reprints per set. And this is one of them. The rest of this list, the rest of this list has is mostly okay. Codes like the Great Discortion, Zakama, Avison, Omnath, Marin, Neheb, Urza, Insurrection. Most of the stuff we haven't seen in a while. Some of it, Selvala is another double tap, right? Uh, Selvala's been in, I think, a number of things, including a, maybe a secret layer, but also other products that were like the list and Jumpstart and things like that. Secret layer, yep, a border secret layer, plus Commander Masters, uh, right? Um, so, I mean, th- there's a couple of things. Are are there enough cards in the pool for reprints to maintain this cadence? My argument is, for now, they're getting away with it. But at, given all of the, the how the product set of SKUs per year has expanded, and one of the other major factors is this. If Commander is your main format, then you have to rethink reprints. Because those players might only need one copy of the card. Like, I put, if I need Esper Sentinels in six decks, I have six copies of Esper Sentinel, but that's not average. Lots of players play with proxies if they don't have multiple copies, or they move the copies around so that they don't have to spend $30, $40, $50 again on a card. And that is the, the one flaw with that putting that format at the center of your hobby, is that you've shifted from a world 15 years ago where everybody needed four copies of every card to a world where they, if it's commander only, they only need one copy. Now, if it's your favorite commander of all time, you might have six copies of that commander. Like I have five copies of a Traxxer or something that are just, and I just pull one out at random to, to play with the deck when I play it. But your ideal world is a card like One Ring or Bowmasters or Halfling where it's a four of plus the EDH demand. In which case, reprints will be generally considered less egregious because they may become necessary faster but if it's an edh only card it's really hard to go back to that well that many times and that's part of what makes urza look weird and and edh only cards are mostly what they do because if they try to aim in on tournament cards and they have to plan a couple years in advance they're just so out of date with information too i mean like the 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 known ones are known but you know, not you're not going to get say, oh, I'm going to supplement a card like the one, you know, the one ring tape example. Like, yeah, they knew it was going to be popular in EDH. I don't know if they knew it was going to be that popular in Constructed. Honestly, like their testing is not great. We've seen that in the past for Masters level sets. So I I wouldn't give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, they knew it was going to be a Constructed card. Um, I wouldn't do that, and so I think they they did a lot of this predicated on the fact that it's EDH and and other things like that, and we'll I mean we'll see if it stays a constructed card. Everyone is so hyped on it. I, I mean it's a great card. I played with it. It's phenomenal, but like it's also hateable. Um, so we'll see. But the the point I made to the Discord this afternoon was my opinion. If you put me in charge over there about how we adjust reprint cadence is that I would definitely dial back these double taps in the same year. I think you can get away with a lot of stuff if it's a year to 18 months apart, but I think six months is just silly. And I would, I would just generally, I would just set a policy internally that says we don't print the same card twice in six months. We just don't do it. 
I would say no major reprint tw- once in t- twice in two years. That yeah. I mean, maybe like you said, secret layers are fine, all of that. But even then, the secret layers should be separated by at least a year, and major reprints should be at least two year apart. With the way that they're currently handling secret layers, I don't. F- stress about reprints in those too much right. because either. because yeah. they have they haven't shown a willingness to put big money cards in there very right. often it happens 10 15 times a year you know they, you get a ristic study here a blightsteel colossus there yeah i like ulamog is a good example where that was you know well known to be a 40 50 card and they did a secret layer with great art double-sided unique it's still 42 dollars. so i i agree i think secret layers are fine but as occasional outlets for big money cards. Yeah. Now, the thing I, I suggested to the pro traders is that re- straight reprint sets are probably dinosaurs in their current product mix. It doesn't really make sense. Everything should probably be following the Modern Horizons style uh, of set at this point, where it's a mixture of mostly reprints and some new cards. Like, Commander Masters is a much better set if it is Commander Legends 2. Right away, it's a better set. Because you're going to get the new cards out of the Commander decks that come out alongside it, which we're still getting. Like, it's it's not like this product mix of Commander Masters has no new cards, because there are, I think, 10 new cards per deck or something. Probably five or six of which will be significant. But I think if you go ahead and you throw even 20 to 40 new cards into the mix for Commander Masters then you're going to get another four or five staples and that's going to buoy the excitement level around the set as people try to suss out how playable those cards are. That really helps things as opposed to giving that slot to the, you know, fourth printing of Urza in four years. You know, give us a variant on on the character. Give us a different Urza in that slot and people will be plenty happy to... You're still going to get the Urza... Uh, bump if it's a powerful version but you can put it in some fresh colors or whatever and and open up some opportunities inside this format that is always is is basically has shown that there is a constant hunger for new things in commander commander players like variety unlike you know a legacy constructed player who commits to a deck for five to ten years maybe sometimes with minor variations the commander players like to have a expanding stable of decks and then update them part of the hobby of playing commander is updating those decks as the new stuff comes out rethinking things figuring out what you know what to pull out what to put in etc all right so moving along let's let's flag some other stuff that they revealed outside of the mythics we are getting regal behemoth again we're getting wayward sword tooth again we're getting maelstrom wanderer we're getting carador they showed off a very nice looking version of Asusa. That's another double or triple tap since I think Core 2020, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, Core 21, then Secret Layer, than this. Cranko Mob Boss, good goblin card. They showed off the medallions finally getting included, which was kind of, you know, talked about when they announced the set that this could be an include here. And in, indeed, they finally went ahead and did it. They've all got fantastic art. And this is the first time these will appear on foil, and they will have both foil and foil etched versions. So you would imagine that, especially for mono and two-color decks, these are going to be very, very popular. They also showed off uh, cool versions of Command Tower, Path of Ancestry, and Arcane Signet with with cool new art. The new Soul Ring art is nice. Uh, All the basic lands in the set are in Retro Border, 
oddly enough, but they don't. there doesn't seem to be anything in the product mix that suggests anything else has a retro version. There are no extended arts or foil extended arts for anything in the main set, as far as I can tell. It looks like the collector booster uh, EAs and foil EAs are going to be the commander cards. So that's another oddity, because you have back-to-back now, no main set foil extended arts from Lord of the Rings or Commander Masters. Hmm. I would do wish they just did borderless or EA, but not both in general. No, I, I think I think they are. I think that them drawing a line between the two was a weird choice because yeah. I think that stylistically, a lot of players cannot really tell the difference. Right. Yeah. It's just. I mean. Even. I mean. I. I been whatever a lot of money a year i still like unless i look up the name i still don't even know the difference honestly extended art is generally the same art as on the regular card but it looks like it's been turned into an altar and the border's been pushed out the borderless is usually different art and that's actually one of the things that i think that should be a big part of reprints if you're going to go to the well on a card like urza that borderless version is the way to go. The using the normal art on the regular card, right, is the unnecessary part, right? Because as secret layers have shown us, variance is is where it's at. Um, in terms of the formulation of the collector boosters, I didn't see anything that jumped out at me as being like super strange or anything that was gonna was gonna lead to a, you know, Lord of the Rings foil extended art problem where they were only found in the sample packs. It looks relatively straightforward. Traditional foil borderless or textured foil borderless rare or mythic, foil etched rare or mythic, traditional foil or non-foil extended art rare or mythic, but those are the ones from the commander decks, non-foil borderless, traditional foil rare or mythic, traditional foil borderless common or uncommon. It's pretty standard looking. It feels like it's going to be a lot like opening Double Masters 2022. Which is yep. a set that I every once in a while I go back and just pop one of those collector boosters cuz they open well. Like there's a lot of sets you can open and pull garbage. Lord of the Rings is one of them. You can you can open very well with Lord of the Rings, or you can open very poorly. But Commander Masters 2022 opens well very often, because you're going to pull things like Phyrexian Altar. You're going to pull Smothering Tithe. You're going to pull Dockside. You're going to pull Renin Sex, etc. You're going to pull a Textured. They're, it's pretty hard to go wrong with that set. And that's the standard that has been set here and with the remaining rares and mythics we haven't seen, that's what we're hoping is going to fill in. The other part that I think is the the shoe people are hoping is going to drop is allied fetches. Because if we're going to talk about reprint cadence, where the hell are those? Because there's yeah, been they got to get the value somewhere. <laughs> there's there's been plenty of places where allied fetches could have been included and weren't, including Lord of the Rings. So my guess is they should be here. If they're not here, I don't know where else they're putting them. Because keep in mind that fetches are basically banned from Pioneer. So they can't put them in a standard set. Yeah, I'm looking up... uh, I'm curious what the most expensive cons fetch is. Uh, Polluted Delta market price is $33. So, I mean, they're they're getting up there, but it's nothing like they were for the old Zendikar fetches um, before they got reprinted. I mean, to me, like a a $33 fetch is fine because I have them and many people are the same. But, you know, you also aren't the person that joined Magic in the last five years before cons or in the last five years after cons. 
Because what year was Khans? I mean, that's pretty old now, right? Well, people probably have fetches sitting around from when they cracked Zendikar Rising. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so they did get a reprint since then, yeah. Because they, they were box toppers there. Right, right, right. And they got cheaper, but not like crazy cheap. Because Khans was, God, that's almost 10 years ago now. It's, it's September 20, <laughs> yeah, it's 20, 2014. Um, so nine nine years or so. Um, time, time flying. That's crazy. So anyway, if... if if allied fetches aren't here, I don't know what land cycle will be, but it will be a disappointment by comparison. I could see them, I mean, again, their reprint cadence doesn't make sense. I could see them throwing in triomes because triomes yep. are more commander related. Yep. That would be would my be, second pick. Which would be a total mistake, right? I, it, 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 The obvious choice is usually the right one. If you want to have EV, put in the allied fetches, call it a day. But I could totally see them throwing in triumphs and saying, oh, look, we're giving commander players what they want without going, well, what makes sense? Well, right? and you also need the you need the fetches to go get the triumphs. Right. Yeah. So. Right. So <laughs> I, if I had to bet, my bet would be on triumphs over fetches just because of just you don't trust them. obnoxious Watsi is with reprints. Got it. All right. Well, I mean... We're going to have a whole other week of this, and we'll have a much better idea next week. So as far as I'm concerned, this set looks about as I expected. I don't see any, like, huge red flags here. I also don't see any, you know, like, Lord of the Rings is going to be a tough act to follow. Between the serial right. soul rings, the hunt for the one ring, shout out Toronto, uh, the surge foils, the box toppers, and a bunch of great character translations... Like, one thing we didn't give, I haven't heard enough people give Watsy credit for, the Lord of the Rings flavor to playability ratio was off the charts. They hit it out of the park. They did exactly what you would want them to do with a Lord of the Rings set. There are probably a few fewer modern specific cards in the set than people were hoping for or assuming. But other than that, that set is, you know, go, pro- probably the best selling set of all time for a reason. Uh, so we'll uh, get into this more next week as more things are revealed. Where can folks find you online, Derek? Yeah, folks can mainly find me online at Twitter at Oko Assassin. Uh, please hit me up. I always love to chat. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys that are constantly making our folks money, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of another episode, James. Not sure when I'll be back, but uh, look forward to our next discussion whenever I do. Fantastic to have you back, Derek. Next week, Cliff will return, and I'm sure sure he will have plenty of opinions about this set as well. We will see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.